Thanks so much for talking to me today about your review article called Domains of Objects, Rituals of Truth. Um, so to start, could you tell us what your article is about and what the key points are? Well, first of all, thank you very much for having me here. It's really a fascinating opportunity to share a little bit more about my work that often gets just left behind in a pile of unread articles or books somewhere. Uh, in this paper, basically what I wanted was to try to think in the ways that international legal historians, which is my field, if that is a field at all to begin with, could learn from the very fascinating work that is being done in the new materialisms understood broadly. And what I wanted to do, I mean, there has been some work that tries to bring questions of materiality into international law and vice versa. But I felt that sometimes in that literature, they kind of lumped together the whole variety of the new materialisms. And what I wanted to do in this piece was to take a step back and try to think how can we classify the different approaches of the new materialisms. Very aware, of course, that all classifications are arbitrary and under-inclusive and incomplete. But at the same time, I did want to try to give lawyers mostly a classification or let's say a roadmap on how we could work with the new materialisms and how, let's say, we could learn from each other. And what I did then was to try to map the following approaches. On the first hand, actor network theory, uh, and let's say the work of Bruno Latour. On the other hand, science and technology studies, which, and in particular, uh, the, the Bertian or the current most close to Sheila Jasenov. Uh, third, post-humanist feminisms and the important work that has been done in this area. Fourthly, the ontologies of vibrancy, uh, which is a controversial topic on its own terms, but I guess we might talk about that later on. Then the revival of, let's say, historical Marxism, historical materialism, and in particular, Marxism in the shadow of Walter Benjamin. Then history is a political economy, and let's say the role of commodities in political economy. Uh, psychoanalysis, and let's say the varieties related to these sort of approaches. And finally, what you could call very problematically, for sure, indigenous or aboriginal traditions of new materialism. Awesome. Thanks for laying that out. So why do you think that the materiality of international politics is important for legal history? Well, I think that this paper stems from a very deep-rooted frustration with my field, as I guess most papers do when all is said and done, uh, with the fact that I think that most of the work that is being done in international legal history is implicitly or explicitly committed to intellectual history or the history of concepts. And that's not a bad thing per se. I've done this kind of work before. I really enjoyed it. I think that we can do very powerful things to show contingency, to show paths not taken, uh, but I did feel that it was perhaps problematic that these sorts of approaches were really crowding the space of legal, let's say, legal historical methodologies, up to the point that even the most critical proponents of such methodologies tended to assume that that was the answer to all sorts of historical inquiry. And what I did a little bit in this paper was to try to think, well, perhaps if we not only look at the discursive, and I'm not saying that the discursive is not important, of course, but if we try to understand the discursive side by side with the, with the material broadly understood, then there might be things that we can learn. There might be practices that we were not understanding. There might be modes of governance that we cannot register. And in this paper, then, what I set out is to say, well, there are very different ways to understand the material. And these are some pointers on how you could approach the material from an international law or international legal history perspective. 
That's great. So that talks that that goes a little bit into my next question as well. But can you talk a little bit more about how you came to write this article? Yeah, no, I think that I that's a fundamental point, and I think that sometimes young scholars were not always very open about how they we come to projects, and I think people that are coming up need to hear our personal frustrations and experiences. Uh, so this project actually comes from my master's dissertation that I wrote here in Geneva with a law and a history co-supervisor. And what I wanted to do in the dissertation was tell a history of international law, broadly understood, or international regulation, perhaps more precisely. But instead of telling a history of old white European men and their ideas, to tell a history that revolved around commodities, around objects, around infrastructures. And the particular object for my master's was shipping containers. So the first chapter of the dissertation was basically a historiographical intervention that mapped, let's say, the way in which the histories of international were being told and what were its methodological, let's say, commitments implicitly or explicitly. Then, then came the second piece that basically tried to say, okay, if you follow my first argument, and you want to take the materiality of international legal politics seriously, then this is what I mean by materiality. And this is the way we can work through materiality and we can use all of these different, let's say, methodological toolkits to say something about global governance. And then the last chapter is where I apply all of these very theoretical and methodological points to basically say something about shipping containers in the 50s and 60s, and in particular about the standardization of container materialities at the International Organization for Standardization here in Geneva. So that's the project, let's say, broadly understood. And this piece I particularly enjoyed because even if lawyers tend to not care too much about questions of methodology or theory, for me it was fundamental to try to map the field, to understand which were the leading authors, what were the contributions, for instance, feminist thought or indigenous thought, before I could really articulate my own proposal or my own primary source-driven work. So just to go to the last question, uh, where do you see the cross-fertilization between new materialism and international legal scholarship going moving forward? I think that's a great question, and I have to respond, obviously, in the plural. I think that maybe a big mistake that has happened in this sort of approaches is that they try to claim one way of doing materiality as if it were the only possibility. And I find that very reductive and let's say a, not, not very creative or imaginative in many ways. So on the contrary, what I wanted to show is that first, there has been already work on materiality for sure. And that work has masterfully shown how let's say the world of legal documents operates. So you have great work on files and global governance, you have this beautiful ethnography of legal and judicial spaces, and that's what I would call, let's say, a first wave of materially oriented work. What I, what, what I tried to map in this review is instances in which materially oriented scholars try to go beyond this first, let's say, preoccupation with the legal document and try to see how would a legal, let's say, ethnography or history look beyond the written text beyond the confines of the legal decision or the legal judgment. And I try to map in different ways how this has happened and could happen. So for instance, there are fasc very fascinating work in which they try to do a and T methodologies to say something about, let's say, the processes through which agencies of lawmaking occur in international law that involve humans and not humans. You also have fascinating work being done by feminist scholars thinking how could a post-humanist international humanitarian law or international criminal law look like. 
a, you have amazing job on in the intersections of STS and international law that try to share to highlight how these dichotomies between let's say norms and technologies are as feeble and as let's say artificial as the dichotomies between the natural and the social. But finally, the direction that I at least am taking in my work, and I again insist that I don't think that's the only one, is that I really wanted to try to think the question of space in international legal history. I think that a big problem in international legal history is that space is obviously, or not obviously, but space, scholars tend to see space as this empty container that is just filled by the actions of great lawyers and great theoretical, let's say, perspectives. And on the contrary, what I wanted to highlight is the centrality of spatial technologies of ordering in the creation of projects of global governance. I think this is a way that we could take the conversation forward, but I would be the first one to read and comment very, let's say, happily any other work that is done to, let's say, cross, as, as you all said, to cross-fertilize what we international lawyers are doing and what people in the social sciences, in the humanities are doing. If I can say just one last thing, I think that a huge problem with international lawyers is that we tend to see ourselves as a very technical, let's say, profession, and we usually don't look at the other side of the aisle to see what perhaps the humanities and the social sciences are doing. And when we do so, we're often 10, 20 years behind. My, my paper shows that. I mean, I'm talking of things that humanities, people from the humanities have discussed 10 years ago. Um, so if anything, this is a plea for more engagement and more interdisciplinarity more than anything else. Awesome, thank you so much. No, thank you very much. This was completely fascinating and I hope it wasn't too long.